One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Oh, he's America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Friday, March 26th, 2021, people. How you liking this Friday episode? Listen, it is a weird year with this NCAA tournament in terms of the scheduling and the timing, and it just felt like, hey, if we're not getting games till Saturday, let's push back the final episode until Friday. Here is the rundown of today's show. We will obviously preview all eight Sweet 16 games starting on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, about 2.40 Eastern with Oregon State Loyola, all the way through Saturday slate, all the way through Sunday slate. For people who do not know the schedule, by the way, Sweet 16 Saturday, Sunday, and then in this bizarre year, Elite Eight Monday, Tuesday. So we will not have a Final Four until late Tuesday, but today it's all about the Sweet 16, and then in the second half of the show, this is what we'll do. We'll, re- we'll preview the Sweet 16, I will take a quick break, I will come back, and I'm going to hit on some transfer stuff, because a lot of you have asked me, hey Torres, you got to get us updated on the transfer stuff, and the bottom line is, with the season now over, players are entering this thing left and right, the one-time transfer rule being in place, the fact that a lot of players are getting extra years a year of eligibility from the NCAA, it means that the portal is on fire. What I will do is I will preview what you need to know, and I will give you the 10 players that I consider to be the best players in the transfer portal right now, who they're being recruited by, what their style of play is, and why it is so important. And I'll just warn you, this is the next wave of college basketball recruiting. Frankly, college football is not far behind. And so over the next couple weeks, this will be a big topic as guys like Walker Kessler from uh, North Carolina, Justin Powell from Auburn, guys like that are entering the portal. And as they take visits and and do zoom calls and make commitments this will be a topic that we discuss throughout the show but we will start with the sweet 16 before we do want to remind you make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast if you're not subscribed or if you are listening via the KSR feed make sure to subscribe via the Aaron Torres feed you can find me on iTunes the podcast addict app Podbean Spotify TuneIn Radio wherever you listen to podcasts make sure that you are subscribed Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Find me on YouTube. Also, if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com those are all the little promos those are all the little announcements before we do get to the meat of today's show I want to welcome back again a great sponsor of the Aaron Torres sports podcast all months all month long and that is our friends at PicksWise and PicksWise.com PicksWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks you can find the who how and why behind every pick for every sport, every game, every day, all for free, all at PicksWise.com. Throughout March, PicksWise is running a college basketball handicapping contest. 
featuring some of the best experts in the game. Get free daily picks and analysis from the likes of John Rothstein, Rashad Phillips, and more. Head over to PicksWise.com now to see which expert is hot as they battle it out for a winner-takes-all $10,000 cash prize. Make your next bet better at PicksWise and PicksWise.com where you can get all that expert betting info. With that said, people, thank you to PicksWise, but there is no more time to waste. It is time to get into the meat of the show, and we started with 300-something teams. couple teams opted out. Coach K tried to get us to cancel the sport. We didn't cancel the sport. Got to 68 for this tournament, and we are down to 16 teams, people. So let's talk about it. We are going to go through game by game. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on each. I'm not going to spend down, you know, break down Oregon State's zone offense versus whatever. But I do want to hit on each of the eight games this weekend. Key points, key numbers, the things that you need to know going into this game. I do have a few bets, uh, and I'll give you winners. And listen, I'll tell you this. If you follow my bracket advice, maybe you do the opposite, bet against all my picks because the picks were not great going into this weekend. I will say, or coming out of the first weekend, I will say, though, I do still have three of my four Final Four alive. But let's talk about the games at hand on this weekend. And it starts at 2.40 Eastern time on Saturday. For people who have not seen the schedule yet, we get four straight standalone games on Saturday. Remember, Normally in the NCAA tournament, those Sweet 16 games actually start here on this Thursday night that I'm recording, and then you play Sweet 16 Thursday, Friday, Elite Eight Saturday, Sunday. This year, though, the Sweet 16 is on Saturday, and every single game is a standalone game in the Sweet 16, so we do not have any uh, channel flipping for the rest of the NCAA tournament. One game at a time, it starts at 2.40 Eastern on Saturday, and it is the Loyola Chicago versus Oregon State. And obviously, we know what the big story is coming into this one. Our girl, Sister Jean, she's got some magic juju. Uh, you know, she could use her magic powers to cure world hunger or do this or do that. She just wants to see her team win basketball games. And I will readily admit, as I talked about with Nick Coffey, I've kind of come full circle on Sister Jean. Yeah, she did a lot of interviews back in 2018 when the team made the Final Four. But I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of happy to see her on the sidelines. And in all seriousness, I will say this. There was no magic sister, you know, sister Jean magic pixie dust on the, on the sidelines last weekend. Loyola Chicago was simply the better team against Illinois. And I talked about it a little bit on, on Wednesday or Thursday's show, and I certainly talked about it on my YouTube channel where I did a big video about why I think Porter Mosier should be the number one call that Loyola Chicago makes. But I do think that when I look at this team, they, they you know, I talked about misseeded teams on Thursday's show. There might not be a more misseeded team than Loyola of Chicago in this tournament. You can't watch Loyola of Chicago over the last two games, specifically against Illinois, and say that this is an eight seed. This is a team that went 24 and 4 entering the NCAA tournament. They are the number one defense in college basketball, held opponents to like 56 points per game. Here's what you might not know. They're also really good on offense. They were the number two field goal offense in college basketball or in this NCAA tournament. Only Gonzaga shoots the ball better from the field than Loyola Chicago. And that was on display against Illinois where they got easy shot after easy shot after easy shot. Now, what I think is worth noting about Oregon State, I think Oregon State's a lot better than people give them credit for either. Listen, I'm as guilty as anybody. I thought I saw that run in the Pac-12 tournament. I saw that you know they have a couple wins, and I think, oh, it's kind of fluky, and it'll fizzle out, and I had them losing to Oklahoma State in my bracket. I did have them beating Tennessee. 
But I think the more that we look at this Oregon State situation, I think the more that we realize there is nothing fluky about this run in this team. And it's another team that they probably were seeded properly as a 12 seed, but they're playing like one of the top 10, 15 teams in college basketball over the last couple weeks. It's worth noting and going back to that Pac-12 tournament, look at who they beat in that Pac-12 tournament. I've talked about it on this show before, but there was nothing fluky about them winning the Pac-12. It's not like the number one seed got knocked out and they played a seven seed to go to the final and they win in a buzzer beater. In the Pac-12 tournament, this is who they beat. They beat UCLA, a team that is now in the Sweet 16. They beat Oregon, a team that is now in the Sweet 16. They actually beat Oregon twice this season, and they beat a really good Colorado team in the championship game. And so when I look at this game, I do think that Oregon State will keep it close. I do think it'll be a really fun game. And while Loyola Chicago absolutely destroyed uh, Illinois, I think this one is much closer, much more competitive. Uh, Oregon, I do, Oregon State, excuse me, I do believe has size down low to kind of limit Cameron Krautwig, the big guy that looks like the dude from Super Troopers. And I do think Loyola Chicago wins. But I think Oregon State is close. I actually think this is going to be one of my official best bets of the weekend. Oregon State, as I record, is plus seven. I do have Loyola Chicago winning, but I will say something that will be in the neighborhood of like 68 to 64, a Loyola Chicago win. I do have them advancing to the final of the Midwest where they will play the winner of Syracuse and Houston. We will get into that game in a minute. Second game on Saturday this one tipping off about 5.15 Eastern time, and that is Villanova against Baylor. And I think the big question in this one is really both teams, who are they, what do we know, are they peaking, or what is, or is it a byproduct of the draw? I think specifically with Villanova, listen, I had them beating Winthrop in round one. I thought that was kind of an overhyped 5-12 matchup, but on the flip side, Villanova gets a, a team in North Texas in round two that is not very talented offensively. And because of it, um, you know, Villanova right now, they're having trouble scoring the basketball. And that was the perfect game for them where you don't have to score 80 points to beat North Texas. And so when I look at this game, I do think Baylor's athleticism, Baylor's defensive intensity, Baylor's three-point shooting – I do like Baylor in this game to win. And I think the interesting thing about Baylor is it does feel like they're finally starting to get back to the level that they were at before that COVID pause. It's no secret that they took the COVID pause right after they barely beat Iowa State. They end up losing to Kansas. And while they've had success since then, they really haven't been the same team. But if you watch them against Wisconsin, they looked really good. I think they're starting to peak. This is a game betting-wise that I will not touch. Baylor is about a seven-point favorite. But Villanova is a really good defensive team. I tend to lean a Baylor blowout. Baylor by 10, 12, 15. But with the way Villanova plays defense, I think it could be low scoring and close. But I do believe Baylor wins that game. And the winner of that Villanova-Baylor game, and I do think it's going to be Villanova... They play the winner of Arkansas or Roberts, which is the game that will follow it at 725 Eastern time. And first of all, let's give a little shout out to Oral Roberts, okay? Uh, Oral Roberts, of course, is probably the single best story in this NCAA tournament. A 15 seed making the Sweet 16. That is only the second time in tournament history that that has happened. The first time, ironically, was Florida Gulf Coast in 2013. They were coached by Andy Enfield. Andy Enfield is actually in this Sweet 16 with USC. But Oral Roberts is in this thing. And the one thing I will say is, I'll be honest, as crazy as it sounds, 
I don't know that I am really all that surprised by by their them being here. And it sounds crazy they're a 15 seed. Yes, it is surprising. But if you look at Oral Roberts, you could legitimately make the case that Oral Roberts played the toughest schedule in college basketball in the offseason, or it's not in the offseason, excuse me, in the out-of-conference portion of play, you can legitimately argue Oral Roberts played the toughest out-of-conference schedule in the country. This is who they played. They played at Wichita State. They played at Oklahoma. By the way, Lon Kruger retired on Thursday. Shout out to Lon Kruger, incredible career. Maybe I'll touch on that very quickly before I get to the transfer stuff. Um, They played at Oklahoma. They played at Wichita. They played at Missouri. They played at Oklahoma State, all tournament teams. Know who else they played at? At Arkansas. And so what I will say is a couple things. I am not surprised by Oral Roberts being here. They are battle-tested. They've played good teams. But I also do think this is where the run ends. I do think that once you get out of that first round, look, I think you can creep up on teams in the first round. Teams can overlook you. Teams can think, hey, you know, we're a two-seed, and if we get by this, you know, we like our matchup with the three-seed. And, like, once you get past that first round, I think teams have respect for the teams that they are going to play in this tournament. Um, You know, you look at the way Creighton handled Ohio. Ohio, maybe Virginia came in late. They were overlooking them a little bit. Creighton said, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not losing to them the way they did. Same with UCLA. UCLA sees Abilene Christian, what they do to Texas. UCLA says, look, we can lose this game if we don't come out focused. They come out focused, take care of Abilene Christian. And I think it's kind of the same with Arkansas. I think, one, if you really look at Oral Roberts, honestly, they probably should have lost to Florida. They were up for most of that game. Or Florida was up for most of that game only to see Oral Roberts rally and win late. But on top of that, I just think Arkansas, after watching them come into Bud Walton Arena, after watching, by the way, Oral Roberts having a lead at halftime, Arkansas knows how good this Oral Roberts team is. I do think that Arkansas wins. I will not be betting it. The point spread is about 11, 11 and a half. I will not be touching it. Oral Roberts can score. The back door will be open. Just one I would not bet with a single dollar. But I do think Arkansas wins. Final game on Saturday slate, to me, I think you can legitimately argue it is the most intriguing matchup of the weekend, even if I think you could also argue it will be the most unwatchable matchup of the weekend, and that is Houston versus Syracuse. That is a 9.55 tip-off on Saturday night, so you get late-night college hoops. Uh, but it's going to be fascinating because the, 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 the defensive matchup, right? So Syracuse plays that 2-3 zone, and I'll tell you this, man. The Syracuse zone in the NCAA tournament is one of the single most confusing things in the world to me. I don't understand how teams have all week to practice for this thing, and then they get into the NCAA tournament. If you haven't seen Syracuse play, you're just not ready for it. It's funny, I was telling this story on uh, on a radio interview in Arkansas uh, earlier this week, but I was watching the Syracuse-San Diego State game, the first round of the NCAA tournament. I was sitting on the couch watching with my wife, and... The first possession of the game, San Diego State shoots like a 25-foot contested three, and there was still plenty of time left on the clock. It wasn't like there was two seconds left on the shot clock and he had to jack it up. He took the, he, the kid, Jordan Shackle from San Diego State, took like a 25-foot three with like 20 seconds left on the shot clock. And I said to my wife, I go, they're not only going to lose this game, they're going to get killed because they don't know how to attack this zone. And sure enough, San Diego State did. And it was the same with West Virginia. If you watch the West Virginia game, every time they got the ball into the high post, every time they got into it into the paint, good things happened. They get a layup, they get a wide open three. 
But for the most of the game, all they did was pass the ball around the perimeter, pass the ball around the perimeter, take bad shots, and sure enough, next thing you know, uh, West Virginia ends up losing that game. And so when I look at Syracuse, I'm just fascinated to see how Houston handles that zone because Houston, while I think they are improved offensively, I don't think they're elite. Dejon Giroux, one of their best players, is a little bit banged up. I think this is low scoring in terms of my best bets. I would also say this is my second best bet from Saturday. I will take the under of 140 in this game. I think it's played in the 60s. Um, you know, listen, I picked Houston in my bracket, so I will stick with them in this game. But I do think Syracuse very much could have a chance to win this one. They are a five-and-a-half-point favorite. But it's just a fascinating defensive battle, Syracuse with that 2-3 zone against Houston, which is the number one field goal defense in the country. And it's worth noting, the winner of Houston-Syracuse will play the winner of Loyola versus Oregon State to go to the Final Four. How about that for a region? And then, of course, the winner of Baylor-Villanova will play the winner of Arkansas-Oral Roberts. Let's get to Sunday's games really quick because I do want to get to the transfer stuff. Opening game Sunday. Really interesting one. Again, about three o'clock, or excuse me, two o'clock Eastern time, Gonzaga against Creighton. And it's funny because when this bracket came out, I did kind of feel like Creighton was probably the toughest team in this draw for Gonzaga. Now, I think that's changed. I actually think Oregon and maybe even USC is now a tougher matchup for Gonzaga. But I don't think you should just push Creighton to the side here. Creighton is a team that is very good shooting the three-point ball. They averaged nine threes made per game. They made nine in their second-round game against Ohio. They shoot about 37%, so it's not like they're taking 40 threes a game. They shoot about 37%, nine threes a game. They hit nine threes against Ohio, and they're actually a better defensive team than, than they get credit for. I think they're in about the top 50 nationally in field goal percentage defense. And so I bring that up because the way to beat Gonzaga – you got to be able to make enough stops to keep it close, but there are going to be points in that game where you have to go shot for shot for shot with them, which sounds like a great night in Vegas, by the way, shot for shot for shot. Uh, but you got to go shot for shot for shot with them. And I just don't know if Creighton can do it over the course of a full 40 minutes, but I do think they're going to keep it interesting. I probably won't officially bet this game, but uh, 14 points is about 13 and a half point spread. I would probably actually take Creighton there. I think a good bet there would be the first half of the Creighton. Take Creighton at about plus eight in the first half. That feels like way too many points for me. I will take Gonzaga to win, but I'm telling you, this won't be easy. And I do think there is at least the possibility that the upset happens, in which case, oh my God, Twitter would burn to the ground. Gonzaga might never live this one down if they lose, but I do think they win. Second game of Saturday of Sunday, it is at 5 o'clock Eastern, and it is the other number one seed, Michigan facing Florida State. I'll tell you this, this is going to be a great defensive struggle. Both of these teams are in the top 20 nationally defensively in terms of field goal percentage defense. And I do think that as great of a job as Juwan Howard has done, this is the game where I do think it comes to an end for them. And here's why. Because I do think when you play Michigan, a couple things. You have to be physically tough, but you also have to be super skilled and have guys that can make plays. And if you watch that LSU game, LSU had one but not the other, and that's no disrespect to LSU. But if you watch the game, LSU, um, you know, LSU was able to make shots early. They were able to get up early. Cam Thomas was awesome. But by the end of the game, Michigan just beat them up, physically overwhelmed them by the end of that game. 
And the one thing that you know about Florida State, you can't physically overwhelm Florida State, which runs eight, nine, ten guys at you at a time. And well, not at a time because you can only have five on the court. But they they play a rotation of eight, nine, ten players. You can't wear them down. They wear you down. And I do think this is where Michigan a little bit banged up. Their best one of their best players, Isaiah Livers, cannot uh, will not be playing in this game because of the foot injury. And I do think Florida State wins. Expect a defensive struggle. This is another one. I would love to bet the under if I was betting on this one. Third game on Sunday night, 7.15 Eastern. How about them Alabama Crimson Tide against Mick Cronin? How about this? Two friends of the Aaron Torres podcast. Had Mick Cronin on in the summer. I've had on uh, Nate Oates about three, four, five times. By the way, also shout out to uh, Leonard Hamilton, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Eric Musselman, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Scott Drew, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Oh, and by the way, I actually did an interview with Doug, or, uh, Greg McDermott, the Creighton coach one time. Did not put it on air because, unfortunately, there were some technical difficulties. So they're all friends of the pod. But this is the only head-to-head friend of the pod meeting as Mick Cronin takes on Nate Oates. Um, and I'll just say this. I, I, I've said it from the beginning. I think it's a bad matchup for UCLA. UCLA is a good but not great offensive team, but they cannot get enough stops. And when you play Alabama, Alabama is is a better defensive team than they get credit for, and they can score and score in bunches. And so this is one I don't think it's a lot of analysis that needs to be said. Alabama's not going to shoot, make 14 threes or 13 threes or whatever it was, but they are going to make enough threes to win. Uh, Alabama, I believe, will be going to their first Elite Eight since 2002. An incredible job by Nate Oates. But I just think this is a bad matchup. You know, this is a matchup-based tournament, and I don't think I need to spend a bunch of time breaking down a lot of stuff. Uh, UCLA, which has had a very nice run, obviously beat Michigan State, beat BYU, and beat Abilene Christian. But let's be honest, it was also a very manageable path. They were down most of the game against Michigan State and easily could have been out in that play-in game. Instead, they're here in the Sweet 16. I do think this is where the run ends. Final game, Oregon-USC. I'll tell you this, really fun matchup. Shout out to the Pac-12. We talked a lot about the Pac-12 on this show this week. But listen, they proved all the doubters wrong. And we've made fun of them. I live in Pac-12 country, and I've made fun of them. It's impossible not to. But they deserve all the credit that they got with four Sweet 16 teams this weekend. And obviously, they're going to have at least one one Elite 8 team because USC and Oregon are playing. And I will say these two teams actually played only one time in the regular season because of COVID and all that stuff. It was a late season game early in the week. If you remember, Pac-12 usually always plays Thursday, Saturday. So an early week game, Oregon flies down, one off against USC, and they got run out of the gym. And they really didn't even get run out of the gym. They fell down 17 to 1. I looked it up. I knew it was bad. But they fell down 17 to 1 in the first half. And then they actually outscored them from there. And so I love USC. I have a ton of respect for that staff. You know, Andy Enfield, a guy that actually was supposed to come on this podcast and it didn't work out. Uh, Jason Hart, who is an assistant coach there that played in the NBA for a long time. Eric Mobley. They got a really, really good staff. Chris Capco over there. Uh, I respect the hell out of those guys. I just think the wrong team is favored here. As a matter of fact, as you listen to this, I would go play the Oregon money line. I believe that is the right side of this game. And so because of it, uh, I will be taking Oregon in the final game of the Sweet 16. As I told you, here are my picks. On Saturday, I do have Loyola over Oregon State in a close game. I will be betting Oregon State plus seven. Baylor over Villanova. Arkansas over Oral Roberts. And I do have Houston over Syracuse in a close one. Houston would then play Loyola of Chicago to go to the final four. Baylor would play Arkansas to go to the final four. 
And then on Sunday, opening game, I have Gonzaga in a close one against Creighton. I do have Florida State over Michigan. I have UCLA losing to Alabama, Alabama beating UCLA, and Oregon beating USC, which means that we would get a final eight of Gonzaga versus Oregon State and Florida State versus Alabama with those two teams battling it out to go to the final four. And it is worth noting, by the way, these games will be Saturday, Sunday, which means Monday's Aaron Torres podcast. We're going to recap the Sweet 16 and preview the Elite Eight. Uh, That is the full Sweet 16 preview. Only other note I did want to get to, I just referenced it a minute ago, just wanted to say, you know, best of luck in retirement to Lon Kruger. Uh, Lon Kruger, the longtime head coach. You know, Lon Kruger is one of the few guys that I can definitively say that as long as I have been a college basketball fan, he has been a part of the sport. It's kind of incredible. He got his first college basketball head coaching job in 1982 at 30 years old, which was before I was even born. Um, And, you know, one of the first vivid memories that I have as a college basketball fan, I grew up in Connecticut, UConn alum. Uh, Florida beat UConn in the 1994 Sweet 16. Danielle Marshall, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, missed two late free throws. It's very ironic, actually. There's a great story that came out of that game, but it was a late-night tip-off. Um, and the night before, UConn's players were seen out late. And so a young reporter named Adrian Wojnarowski asked Jim Calhoun about it after the game. And Jim Calhoun was really pissed. And Jim Calhoun and Woj basically have a 30-year beef because of that. But Florida beats UConn to go to the Elite Eight. They eventually go to the Final Four. And now in this era, it's not so crazy to think of Florida going to the Final Four. But in 1994, the idea of of Florida going to the Final Four was inconceivable. And, of course, Lon Kruger was their head coach. He went to the NBA. From there, he went to UNLV, where he is actually the last coach to get UNLV to the Sweet 16. Uh, And then he's been at Oklahoma. And... All I'll say about Lon Kruger is a couple things is one, first of all, a great, great, great coach. I mean, you know, Oklahoma is not a hard place to win, but it's not an easy place to win. And you look at the fact that basically he's been there. He was there for 10 years. Um, This was year number 10. And he went he if you include last year when the NCAA tournament was canceled, he would have been to eight NCAA tournaments, including that final four with Buddy Heald. Um, and I'll tell you this, he's, he's a very nice guy. Uh, I've spoken to him a number of times, you know, kind of uh, for stuff I'm doing. Just a very humble guy, a very quiet guy. Uh, exactly what you would expect of him, just a genuinely good, as best I can tell. I don't ever claim to know any of these guys, uh, you know, very well. But a genuinely good guy, a genuinely humble guy. And here's the cool part. If you follow my YouTube page, I talked a little bit about the UNLV coaching job uh, over the weekend Lon Kruger's son, Kevin Kruger, uh, was named the head coach at UNLV. Lon Kruger's son, Kevin, played for him at UNLV in the mid to late 2000s. He is now the head coach. And, I, you know, I think I was the first one to put it out there when it was announced that he was retired. But, you know, my understanding is Lon has already bought a house in, in Vegas. He is moving back to Vegas. And he's got the retired life, right? He's going to live in Vegas. Uh, he's going to be around his son and his son's program. 
I don't know yet if he will take some kind of assistant coaching role, special assistant to the head coach, but he's going to be living in Vegas. He's going to be around his granddaughter and he's going to enjoy life. And, and so I, I you know, I, it, it's kind of crazy, right? Because over the last year, I've done a lot of kind of sad obituary stuff with Lute Olson passing away and John Thompson passing away. I think I talked about John Chaney briefly. You know, Lon Kruger at 60 whatever years old he is, he's 68 years old. He's going to get to go enjoy life and he's going to get to go enjoy his grandkids. Beautiful weather in Vegas. I don't know if he plays the tables or not, but, um, you know, I just, you know, he, he just lived the life the way you want to. He worked hard for 30 plus years. There was actually, I saw Matt Norlander put this out and I actually had heard the same was that Lon Kruger was, was, it was actually kind of understood that 2022 was going to be his last year. Clearly, he was ready to move on. I think, obviously, his son getting a head coaching job. Listen, he wants to spend time around his son. He wants to spend time around his granddaughter. And it goes without saying, the life of a coach, you're on the road a lot. I know we have a lot of coaches that listen to this show. I know how hard it is for you guys. You don't get to spend time around your wife and your kids. And you don't get to, you know, uh, certainly spend time around your grandkids when you're in Oklahoma and he's in Nevada. Um, You know, and and Lon Kruger is, is, you know, we talk about putting family first all the time. I just think it's really cool. I think it's awesome that he gets to go spend, um, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it is with his grandkids, uh, with his son, again, maybe as an assistant coach, maybe as some, you know, special assistant to the athletic director because he was a coach there. He is still very well respected in that community. But again, Lon Kruger just going out in style, retires on his terms. There's not many people in this sport that get to retire on your terms, especially after 30 plus years. And now he gets to go hang out with his grandkid and his son. That is it. I don't know, that sounded like a negative, but that was actually really positive. Shout out Lon Kruger, living the life I want to live. Just go live in Vegas and hang out all day, maybe watch some basketball. But uh, I do want to take a quick break because uh, I do want to get to the transfer stuff. Just thought it might be nice to, to sprinkle in a quick break here. Uh, but I will be back because, as I said to lead the show, college basketball transfers, it is booming right now. And this is the next big thing in college basketball where, let's be honest, Guys are entering the portal more and more now than they ever have before. Um, Every program in the country from Kentucky and Duke all the way down to the lowest of low majors is is taking transfers. And it's extra crazy this year, and I'll get into it why in a minute, but keep in mind that that, uh, there's so many players that are getting an extra year of eligibility from the NCAA, which is part of it. On top of that, there are other factors with high school recruiting and all that kind of stuff. But the transfer market is booming. So many guys in. I'm going to get into the transfer stuff momentarily, give you my top 10 to 15 guys that are currently in the portal. But that is after the break. I will be back momentarily. All right, everybody, I am back, uh, and I do want to transition from off-the-court NCAA tournament stuff to on-the-court with the college basketball transfer portal. So many of you guys have asked me, hey, AT, are we going to talk transfers at any point this offseason? And my plan was to actually wait until after the season or at least until next week when we have less basketball to talk about. But what is going on is that every single day we get more and more guys entering this transfer portal. It is now a major part of recruiting where everybody has to recruit the transfer portal. And so I've decided... Let's just go ahead and talk about it right now because this is a crazy year in transfer recruiting and it is going to be maybe the craziest year in transfer recruiting that we have ever seen. There are already, I believe, in my opinion, 
I think, frankly, there are probably more good players in the transfer portal now than there would have been an entire offseason four, five, six years ago. And so you guys want me to talk about it. Free agency has come to college basketball, and this is the new wave of how recruiting is going to be done. You're always going to recruit high school players. Uh, the, the elite schools are going to go after elite high school players and right on down the list. But I also think these schools are all realizing the value of having veterans on their roster. Look at a place like Kentucky, which it didn't really work out that well this year for Kentucky if you watched them. But in a year where Kentucky had the number one recruiting class in the country, Davion Mintz, a transfer from Creighton, was maybe their most important player on this year's roster. And can you imagine what would have happened to Kentucky if they didn't have him? Like, it would have been even worse than it already was. And so schools are realizing the value of bringing in veterans. Players are realizing the value that, hey, maybe I should look at my options. But what I will say is... Uh, this is going to be a transfer season unlike any that we have ever seen. As I said a minute ago, we are already seeing a record number of, of players in the portal. Uh, more good players are in the portal now than have ever been at this point in previous years. And so what I want to do is a few things. I want to talk about the guys that I believe are the 10 best players, 15 best players in the portal. I'll be quick. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them. But I want to talk about those players. But before I do... I want to explain to you why this will be the single craziest offseason in the transfer portal in the history of college basketball. And frankly, it may be the craziest offseason we ever see going forward because what has happened is there is this crazy confluence of events that has happened that has allowed uh, uh, just, just a record number of guys to want to transfer, to look to transfer, which is going to make for an extra crazy offseason and what is always a crazy offseason following the transfer portal. There are, in my opinion, four reasons why this is going to be the craziest portal ever, and here are those reasons. The first one is high school recruiting was so, so, so different this year. Keep in mind, in a normal circumstance, you have a, a program like Kentucky, they want to fill out their roster with, with four, five, six freshmen and then maybe a transfer or two. Just one problem. College coaches have not been able to go on the road and recruit high school or evaluate high school players in person for over a year now. For people who do not follow NCAA rules, college coaches have not been able to go to high school gyms and watch high school players since last February, last March before the pandemic hit. Hopefully that will change soon, but it doesn't change the fact that these coaches have not gotten eyeballs on these high school players in a year. As we all know, we were all in high school. A lot changes if you're a high school player uh, over the course of one calendar year. You grow, you get better, you get worse, other guys get better. Uh, a lot of these high school kids weren't even able to play this year. And so what a lot of coaches are saying is, rather than take a chance on a high school kid that I haven't seen, I'm just going to go hit the transfer portal. Because even if I hit the transfer portal and I get a player that might be the equivalent of a high school player, I at least know what he looks like. I at least know that he's been in a college weight program. I at least know that he can handle himself on a college campus. And I'll take a one-year flyer on a guy over taking a four-year commitment over a high school player that I have never seen. So that is reason number one why the portal is crazy. There is just less high school recruiting than there has ever been. It will obviously ramp up as coaches can get back out uh, you know, into the, the world to see these high school players. But I think that's important to note as it pertains to the transfer portal. Second reason, this is another important one. 
the reason that there are more transfers than ever before, all these players are under the assumption that this one-time transfer rule is going to go into effect. And it's kind of crazy. We thought it was going to go into effect last offseason, then the pandemic hit. We thought it was going into effect this offseason, and it kind of got some pushback from some coaches. But all of these players are entering the portal anticipating that they will be able to enter the, the they will be able to transfer. And if it's their first transfer, they will not have to be able to sit out next year. That is not an official NCAA rule yet, which could make things really interesting if the NCAA does not make a decision on this rule soon because you're going to have a lot of waivers. You're going to have a lot of pissed off coaches. You're going to have a lot of pissed off players that are thinking that they can transfer without sitting out. I still expect it to be passed, but it's worth noting. The third reason why there are so many transfers in this year's portal, the NCAA, never forget, gave everyone an extra year of eligibility, which means that we now have a bunch of seniors that under a normal circumstance would have graduated and left college that are like, dude, maybe I'll stick around for one more year. Maybe I'll stick around just to see if I can play at a higher level. Maybe I'll stick around to go to a place that I think can feature me better. Maybe I'll just put my name in the transfer portal just to see who's interested in me. I'll give you a perfect example of this. On late Thursday, Miles Johnson, a senior center at Rutgers, two-year starter at Rutgers, put his name in the transfer portal. That is a kid under normal circumstances would have graduated this year, been a senior, and had to go pursue pro options. But he's a guy that's like, hey, let me just see what's out there. Maybe I'll go pro. Maybe I'll stay. We'll see what I do. Jamal Baker from Arizona, former Kentucky player. He was Arizona's leading scorer this year before he got hurt technically put his name in the transfer portal just to see hey what else is out there but I might go pro but let me just kind of see what's out there Kellen Grady from Davidson on and on and on and on and on and because of it you have all these players with this extra year of eligibility they just want to see what is out there for them normally guys that are fourth fifth year seniors would have to leave they don't have to leave this year if they don't want to and the final reason and I won't name names but this season just kind of sucked for everybody and so I think what you're seeing is a lot of places there was a lot of frustration and kids are just like, dude, I'm out of here where under normal circumstances, things wouldn't have been quite so bad. Let me give you an example. There is the number two player on the list, which we'll get into in a minute, is a kid named Walker Kessler from North Carolina, former McDonald's All-American. But if you do some research on social media, there is a belief that there is going to be a mass exodus out of North Carolina this offseason. I don't really get it, but I think from the player's perspective, the team stunk. It wasn't what they were expecting coming to North Carolina, and a lot of these kids are just going to say, I'm going to look around and see what else is out there. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying it's fair, but I think you have a lot of kids, and I don't blame them for the record, that are in a tough headspace right now. I mean, imagine going to play for a coach like Tom Izzo this, off, th this season, and I love Tom Izzo. He's a Hall of Famer. I have no problem with him raising his voice with players. But if you're one of those players and you just went through that and you didn't have the benefit of winning, not to mention that you couldn't get away from Tom Izzo, it's not like you could go hang out with your girlfriend, it's not like you could go hang out at parties, you're just like, dude, I don't want to come back and deal with this guy. And so a lot of those kids are just like, dude, I'm out, I don't care, I just need to be somewhere else. And it is leading to this crazy confluence of events where we have so many players in the transfer portal. And with that said, I'm wasting time. I'm beating around the bush. Let's get into the players that I believe to be the 10 best players in the transfer portal this offseason. I went ahead and ranked them. What I want to do, and I will be doing this periodically. I don't know if it's going to be once a week. I don't know if it's going to be once every couple weeks, but I'm just going to go ahead and update you on the guys that I believe are the 10 best players in the portal at this time, the biggest difference makers, and I'll tell you kind of who's recruiting them, what you need to know, all that stuff. The first guy in the portal 
is a great example of what I was just talking about uh, with the super senior concept of a guy who does an extra year of eligibility. That is a player named Marcus Carr. Marcus Carr just finished a fifth year at Minnesota. He averaged 19.5 points for almost five assists, four rebounds per game. And I'll tell you this, I think he is the single best player in the portal. Now, what's worth noting on Marcus Carr, who was first team all A-10, is that he has already announced he is going to pursue pro options. But as I said, everybody has an extra year of eligibility. And what he's kind of doing is finding that balance between, hey, should I go pro? Should I stay in college? Where, you know, how, what do I have to get drafted at for me to be interested in going the professional route? But if he decides to come back to college, he is, as I record right now, the single biggest difference maker in this transfer portal. First team, all A-10. He is a little bit shot happy at times, but playing at Minnesota last year, he kind of had to be. He kind of had to carry that offense, but this was an all-conference type of guy, and I just think he would be a difference maker anywhere that he goes. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Kentucky for obvious reasons they need kind of a lead guard but until we have any further information it is hard to say exactly who is interested who won't be but Marcus Carr is in my opinion the best player in in the transfer portal as of right now number two I just mentioned him Walker Kessler this kid it was shocking when I saw this kid enter the transfer portal he was a McDonald's All-American last year one of the top 15 players in the high school class of 2020 went to North Carolina and really didn't get all that much playing time. And in his defense, it's not that he's bad. It's not that he didn't underperformed or anything. He was just in a loaded front court where they had a fifth year or a fourth year senior in Garrison Brooks. They had a really good sophomore in Armando Baycott, and they had another really good freshman named Dayron Sharp, who was a really good freshman from the perspective that he has already declared for the NBA draft. And so Walker Kessler was kind of the odd man out. But I'll also tell you that when he got his shot late in the season. This guy was phenomenal, went for 20 and 12 in the ACC tournament against Notre Dame, had 16 and 12 against Florida State late in the season, a team that is playing in the Sweet 16. This kid is about as in demand as anybody in the portal. He's seven foot one. He's skilled. He can play with his back to the basket, but he can also step out and shoot threes. I think it's a little early to project where he will go. I was, uh, you know, when he first entered the portal, I'll be honest, the first name that immediately came to mind for me was Gonzaga. This is a guy that feels like he would be perfect in that kind of pace and space that Gonzaga likes to play, run up and down. He can pass the ball. He can shoot the ball. He's very skilled for a guy that size another guy that it appears as though Kentucky of course will be interested in I saw the North Carolina writer for the athletic has already insinuated that he believes Kentucky could be in the mix and it's with good reason because Walker Kessler is friends with the number three player on this list who is Justin Powell who decided to transfer from Auburn Justin Powell a really interesting story as far as I'm concerned He is a guy that just finished his freshman year, and it's crazy because when it comes to college basketball, we all know that the freshmen, we we know the freshmen, right? Like we just know these freshmen coming in, and we spend all season hyping them and getting excited and talking about this and talking about that, and this kid kind of flew in under the radar, goes to Auburn, and in one year becomes a legitimate NBA prospect. He averaged 12 points five assists, six rebounds per game, shoots 44% from three. Now, he did miss some time late in the season because of a concussion, but when he was playing, he was listed as a legitimate NBA prospect down the road, a projected first-round pick, not this year, but going forward in 2022. What's interesting about Justin Powell, he decides to transfer. He is from Kentucky originally, 
And immediately, obviously, the conversation becomes, is this a guy that Kentucky can get? What will be interesting is this. The SEC currently has its own rule outside of the NCAA, which basically says that if a player transfers in the conference, that when that happens, the player automatically has to sit out a year. There is talk that that rule will be changed. SEC spring meetings will be in the middle of April. That rule could be changed. Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio, my buddy, reported that if that rule is changed, Justin Powell would strongly consider coming back home, playing for the home state school in Kentucky, but he will probably not if if that rule is not changed. So that is something to watch. If not, just about everybody in college basketball is interested in this guy. I saw Gonzaga. I saw Oregon. I saw UCLA. He is a very, very in-demand player right now. Louisville, of course, would also be in the mix being from his home state. The fourth player I mentioned a minute ago, his name's Kellen Grady. Perfect example, four years at Davidson. How about this? All four years at Davidson, which is an A-10 school, good school, uh, all four years at Davidson, he averaged at least 18 points per game and shot at least 37% from three. You talk about a scorer and a difference maker at the college level, this guy is it. He, I don't know if he's going to be a great pro. I believe he is a player that could get drafted uh, after his career is done. I talked to an NBA guy a little while back that really liked him as a long-term NBA prospect, but he is the kind of player that you just need in 2021. Not crazy athletic, but he's super skilled. He knows how to get to his spots on the floor. He knows how to score. He knows how to do all the things needed to help you win games, and he can fill up the basket. Again, I don't mean to be redundant here, but Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, said there has been contact with Kentucky, but really it's too early to know who would be interested in him, but he is the perfect example of a player. Normally, he would not be allowed to come back this year, but with the extra year, he is pursuing additional options. Number five, I'm staying in the A-10. This is kind of a wild story. There is a center out of UMass named Trey Mitchell who has entered the transfer portal. He averaged just under 19 points, seven rebounds per game this year. And if you think it's fluky, he played in a small conference. All I'll tell you, he was a top 100 recruit coming out of high school. Um, you know, what had offers from UConn, had offers from Notre Dame, ends up at UMass. Here's the catch with Trey Mitchell. First of all, we don't know a ton about his recruitment. All that's been out there, Adam Zagoria put out a tweet that said over 75 schools have already reached out to Trey Mitchell. What is interesting is... Part of the reason that Trey Mitchell chose UMass was because his high school coach was also had then by the time he got to college had transitioned to college. So basically he followed his his high school coach to UMass. He leaves the portal. It later becomes uh, uh, a news story that his high school coach will no longer be at UMass. And so nobody really knows right now if it's going to be kind of a quote unquote package deal. I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but. You know, if his high school coach was staying at UMass, it'd be one thing. But his high school coach is currently a free agent, and there, you know, there is insinuation, and I'm not implying anything, that you got to hire the high school coach to get him. We will see. Again, strictly insinuation. I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm just saying that it is a conversation that is being had behind the scenes in college basketball. Number six. Uh, this one looks kind of shocking to me. Xavier Pinson. Combo guard at Missouri, second leading scorer at Missouri this year, averaged almost 14 points per game. He entered the transfer portal on Tuesday. Uh, crazy story, uh, really good player. 
I think my hunch is that basically Missouri was a very senior-based team this year, and I think he was like looking around like, I'm going to be the only guy back next year. I'm going to bounce. I'm going to get out of here. He was a junior that has obviously a couple years of eligibility left. It's also been reported that he was frustrated with his playing time down the stretch. He only played 10 minutes in Missouri's NCAA tournament game. But he is another one that is really interesting from this perspective. He has put out a list of schools, or his AAU program has put out a list of schools that includes three SEC schools. He has been uh, contacted by, according to his AAU coach, he has been contacted by Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, San Diego State, St. Louis, and Nebraska. Those are the early calls on Xavier Pinson, but like Justin Powell, he is a guy that, as the rule is currently written by SEC rule, would have to sit out this season if he goes to another SEC school. So we will see if that rule is changed. If not, I have heard that Arkansas and Auburn are actually the leaders for Xavier Pinson. Number seven, Fats Russell. You guys know Fats Russell? Great story on this kid. Uh, uh, Bennett, Rhode Island for a couple years. This year was kind of a weird year where Rhode Island lost a couple key players. Jacob Toppin transfers to Kentucky. Tyrese Martin transfers to, uh, to, or to, to UConn, excuse me. And Fats Russell's kind of the last guy left behind. He still averaged 15 points, four and a half rebounds, four and a half assists. But a lot of people, when he entered the portal, I said, I think he's one of the best players in the portal. People said, oh, well, look at his shooting percentage. He only averaged 21% from three. That is fair. He is not a great shooter. But what I would also say is that when he had good players around him last year, all of his numbers were up. He averaged almost 19 points per game, more assists, and he shot 36% from the field. And I think what happened this year, one, he didn't have a lot of talent around him and defenses were able to kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of collapse on him, fall on him, and because of it, it made it really tough for him to create, so his numbers were down. He's the perfect example of, I think he's just looking to use that extra year to go to a school that can really highlight his attributes and his skills. It is worth noting, he was recruited to uh, Rhode Island by Dan Hurley, who is, of course, now the UConn coach. Uh, I have no idea if he wants to play for Dan Hurley, but that is a logical landing spot. But he's another one. He has interest from everybody. It's early. Gonzaga is in the mix. Oregon is in the mix. Michigan is in the mix. And he is going to be able to play just about anywhere that he wants to next year. Number eight, I'll try to make this quick here. Armand Franklin, Indiana. So Indiana's kind of an interesting story. I talked about this on, what was it, Wednesday, Thursday's episode, is that Indiana right now, uh, they do not have a coach. And I'm not saying you rush to hire a guy and there's a chance that Indiana is waiting to talk to somebody that is currently coaching in the NCAA tournament. But what I'll tell you is they can't really wait that much longer because half of their team is in the portal. And I'm not saying that metaphorically. I'm talking about literally they have five players that have now entered the transfer portal since Archie Miller was fired last Monday. Armand Franklin was probably the best of them. He averaged 11 points per game this past season. He was also basically Indiana's only really good three-point shooter, 42% from behind the three-point arc. And it's not a coincidence that the, he got hurt late in the year. He had an ankle injury and couldn't play. And that was basically when Indiana completely fell apart and could not win games and did not make the NCAA tournament. He was the team's best three-point shooter. He was the second-leading scorer. He is a guy that I believe will be a difference maker. He is from Indianapolis. So in, in theory, a lot of those schools kind of in that Indiana, Kentucky region seem to be interested. Specifically, Louisville is a school that has reached out early. There are a couple others as well. Uh, number nine on my list after Armand Franklin, 
Namari Burnett, who was a McDonald's All-American last year, went to Texas Tech. He's actually the only guy on this list that has been in the transfer portal since the semester break back in January. Went to Texas Tech. It did not work out. Decided to enter the portal. And then in talking to people around him, he basically said, and his, his family basically said, we're not going to commit right now to somebody else without knowing what the roster looks like. We're going to wait. We're going to pump the brakes. We'll wait until the season ends. We'll wait till early April when we figure out who's going pro and who isn't, and we will make a college decision at that point. But again, former McDonald's All-American, first McDonald's All-American ever to sign with Texas Tech. It did not work out, but he is kind of in a holding pattern. There is a report that he is down to seven schools, the two big ones that are linked to him. Uh, Alabama was actually his number two choice coming out of high school when he chose Texas Tech. Also, he is from Chicago originally, so Illinois is in the mix there. Number 10 is another guy that kind of didn't produce at a really high level, but I just think is flat out really good, and that's Jamin Brakefield, who played at Duke this past season. Didn't get a lot of playing time. He was kind of that kid Jalen Johnson's backup. When Jalen Johnson quit the team, and he did in fact quit the team, um... Jamin Brakefield was a guy that kind of broke out. He had 10 points against Virginia, but he's a former top 50 high school recruit, uh, You know, had offers from Louisville, had offers from Michigan. A little early to know who is interested, but I do think that he is one to keep an eye on. I think he'll be really good in the right place going forward. I would also add uh, that on top of those 10 names, there's another guy that entered the portal on late Thursday as I'm getting ready to record here who is really good. That is Noah Locke, who played at Florida last year under Mike White. I'm not going to crush Mike White, I promise. I'm going to keep my comments to myself. But Noah Locke averaged 11 points on 41% shooting from three. This kid is a stud. And I'm telling you, if, if you know, I did this list before Noah Locke entered his name in the portal, but after he entered his name, I would probably put him somewhere number five, number six, number seven in the country. Again, another SEC kid, so it'll be interesting to see who breaches out and whether or not the one-time transfer rule passes, because obviously that would play a factor in where he would be interested. A couple other names to follow going forward. Uh, there are two guys out of Pitt, uh, Xavier Johnson, Audis Tony. Both those guys were double-figure scorers. Xavier Johnson, a multiple-year starter at point guard. Audis Tony, a big, powerful wing. Um, you know, both these guys are being heavily recruited. I know Arkansas is really high on Audis Tony, as is Providence, as is, uh, I think, Texas A&M. Basically, everybody is in on Audis Tony, really good player. Xavier Johnson, he has kept his recruitment a little bit closer to the vest. Earl Timberlake, who played at Miami last year, really good player. Race Thompson, Al Durham, both were Indiana guys that have entered the portal. And again, Miles Johnson is a name to watch as well. He averaged eight points and eight and a half rebounds. He was one of the best rebounders in the Big Ten this past season. Really, really, really good player. And like I said, listen, this is a thing now. Transfer college basketball, it is off-season content. It is things we are going to talk about. And over the coming months, we're going to get better players in the portal. We are going to have commitments. And I am going to talk about, like, this is going to be a topic. When Walker Kessler commits somewhere, that will be a topic on this show. Um, you know, when, when uh, a Kentucky or an Arkansas or a Bama or a Louisville or a Tennessee gets two guys in a week, that is going to be a topic. Transfer stuff is picking up. There has never been more interest in this. And I should mention, by the way, me and my crew, I got a couple guys that helped me out, collegebasketballtransfers.com. We keep you up to date minute by minute with all of the news in the transfer market. If you love this transfer stuff, collegebasketballtransfers.com as I will from there, me and my team keep you updated going forward. All right, 
I think that is it for this segment of the Aratora Sports Podcast, this episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you guys, uh, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aratora Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. I should mention, by the way, if you're not, if you're, if you're listening on the KSR feed, come over to the Aaron Torres podcast feed. We're running a few episodes over there in March, but come over to the Aaron Torres podcast feed. Subscribe there because all the episodes going forward will not be on the Aaron Torres podcast feed. But rate review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Uh, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. I just referenced it, but if you love the transfer stuff, follow uh, College Basketball Transfers on Twitter uh, and collegebasketballtransfers.com. But other than that, I think that is it. Great show, fun show. Again, thanks to our sponsor, PicksWise, but it is time for me to get out of here for this week. I will be back Monday with a full recap of the Sweet 16. Who else knows what's going to happen in this, this weekend? Who else knows who's going to hit the transfer portal, who might commit? But... That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back on Monday, and we will be down to an Elite Eight.